As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to The Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson, back from a Mexican vacation. He's Matt Fortuna back from the national championship game. Um, I'm not, I, I was going to say, I'm not sure which of us had uh, more fun at our destination, but you had better weather. Uh, I had way fact, better I, weather. I, I have better uh, weather in Chicago right now, I think, than I yeah. had in Los Angeles for the uh, national title game. Crazy enough. Not complaining. I watched, uh, I watched the semis from a condo over Lincoln Pacific Ocean, but I only oh, got right. the, ES, been a, the ESPN and Vivo uh, pod, or, uh, broadcast. So I think a lot got lost in translation as I was watching Noah Ruggles shank a 50-yard field goal. Uh, to put Georgia in the national championship what, what, game. What time was that? Uh, was that right at the new year? Like it was for the East Coasters? It or, was. Uh, yeah, it was just before new year. I think Puerto Vallarta was on, is on central time, but okay. um, yeah, I think it was a few Pacificos in at that point, but now we both uh, snap back to reality here as I was watching snowflakes um, come down on South Bend as I was walking my dog around the lakes at Notre Dame, um, you know, the Santorini of Northern Indiana, as many people call it. Um, <laughs> Got to see so, our, our dear friend um, in Los Angeles. Sorry. Reminded yeah. him of that every turn. Super. Um, I think since our last podcast, we spent a lot of time. I think our last podcast was Sam Hartman enters the transfer portal. We have not had a podcast since Sam Hartman commits to Notre Dame. Uh, I was sort of following that news loosely while going to the Puerto Vallarta Zoo and uh, holding a tiger cub, which was pretty cool. Um, But they had a little bit of Wi-Fi there, but uh, it was not. Those are not roads to be tweeting on. So, Matt, you uh, you wrote a good column on sort of what Hartman meant to Wake Forest and what he could mean to Notre Dame. I guess what um, this wasn't a surprise to either of us, but uh, just sort of your reaction now that it's done, done that he'll be Notre Dame's quarterback next year. Yeah. You were at the zoo when he committed and I was uh, freezing outside. Uh, what not, not, it wasn't the nature museum. Where was it? Oh, it was a shed aquarium um, and then couldn't get in cause I didn't have tickets and then had to, to tweet that news out with like frozen fingers and getting frostbite. <laughs> uh, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, yeah, you know, the, the, the long, like anything in this crazy college football world, the longer things drag out, the more like anxiety you get, right? Like, okay, why isn't he committed yet? Why hasn't he done this? Why hasn't he done that? Um, and eventually, you know, Destiny took its course. He he committed to Notre Dame as, as we long expected. And um, 
that I, I, I don't try to be a prisoner of the moment or exaggerate, but I do think commitment wise, um, this is as big of a quarterback commitment as Notre Dame has gotten since Jimmy Clausen. And uh, I'm not, you know, it's not really a fair fight to compare high schoolers to five-year college players, but in terms of instant impact, um, you know, it doesn't really get much bigger than this. I think he has a chance to be the best quarterback they've had since Brady Quinn. Uh, obviously not going to rewrite Ian Book's records because uh, it took him three years to do that, but it, it, it's big. And I, I think that coupled with the, the, the glimpses we saw from Tyler Buckner in the Gator Bowl, and me and you talked about this in our podcast after that game, wasn't the smoothest of performances for Tyler Buckner, but it was a necessary performance. And it was one that I think now that we're removed from it and, and Notre Dame was able to celebrate a victory w- was all the more gratifying because it wasn't just, hey, we're going to put him in there, hand the ball off 40 times and, and get out of here with a win. We're, we're going to let this guy loose. We're going to see what he's made of. We're going to let him fail and, and see how he responds to failure. Uh, don't think that wasn't going through my mind the next night when J.J. McCarthy, who's earned endless comparisons to Tyler Buckner, also threw two pick sixes um, in, in a big bowl game. But I, I think with Buckner presumably back in the fold, with Sam Hartman here, with Kenny Minchie committing, and then, you know, to take it a step further with CJ Carr coming a year later, you're looking at a numbers game and a stars game with Notre Dame in the quarterback room that I'm not sure there's a good comparison for recent Notre Dame history. Uh, again, things have to prove themselves out on the field, but and the numbers are what they are. Someone's going to transfer. Someone's going to leave. Someone's not going to pan out. But you take those, what, that's three four or five star guys between mm-hmm. Buckner, Minchie and Carr. Um, actually, uh, Angeli's a four star, right? I mean, he four, was four star guys. Well, I mean, um, he was th- kind of a fringe. Uh, I think it was a three star, a lot of places. So, okay. But the point being four high end, three star, low end, four star, in some cases, five star guys, plus a guy who's a, a two time all ACC player coming in for a year to, to kind of um, shore up that room this year. And you've got a very, very competitive room. You've got a very, very deep room. You've got a room where you don't have to go into every game thinking, oh, my God, I hope something doesn't go wrong with our quarterback here because we're screwed Mm -hmm. because they're not screwed. (laughs) They've got a lot of bodies there. Now, there's a lot of coaching and ego managing that that comes with managing a room like that. But it's a very um, advantageous position to be in right now. And, and, you know, it's crazy how that kind of flips overnight, right? Like a month ago, this was not the case at all for for, for Notre Dame football, um, even before Drew Pine left. Now, um, I think the makeup of the room has completely changed and and it it creates higher expectations for this programming. You wrote about in your mailbag today, um, you know, the the defensive holes are the defensive holes, um, but there's a lot to like coming back on this offense, probably more to like than really I can remember maybe outside of that 2015 season um, as, as far as I think they have a realistic shot to, to, to set team and program offensive records this year um, and, and make a serious run at a playoff spot this year. The schedule is what it is. And we'll get to that a little mm-hmm. bit. It's only going to be even more difficult, but yeah, I, we've both covered this team in college football long enough to know, like predicting a season based on how we think the schedule will pan out is usually a fool's errand because 2012 and 2018 come to mind immediately when I think of, oh man, how are they ever going to get through this? And um, they end up being better than I thought they'd be in both years and the schedule ended up being a lot weaker than I thought it would be yeah. in both years too. We will undoubtedly run that fool's errand multiple times between <laughs> now and the start of the season. But, you know, to your quarterback point, I was, you know, looking at the the 24-7 rankings. If you go 2013 Malik Zaire, Number 162 overall, four-star. 2014, Deshaun Kaiser, four-star. 242 overall. 
2015, Brandon Wimbush, four-star, number 46 overall. That's probably the last time that I think you would, you would point to Notre Dame going back to back to back on three classes, which they're sort of the spirit. They're, they're doing that in spirit right now right. with Sam Hartman as sort of like a, a new player with then Minchie and then Carr after that with Buckner still on the roster. So it's definitely a, an upgraded room. Um, you know, as, as Notre Dame quarterback recruiting and development has, I think, taught all of us, um, and this was in the mailbag today too, it's just like, you just don't know. Like people um, have criticized Notre Dame uh, and Reese for their, their quarterback recruiting. And I, I don't think it's a, it's a recruiting issue or a development issue. It's, I think they've had some identification misses, but I, I don't, put that really on I don't think that's unique to Notre Dame like that that's an issue everywhere um and I think a lot of times maybe some of our listeners or readers will look at that as like this is this is something peculiar to Notre Dame like it's really really hard to identify a good quarterback coming out of high school I mean just think about how hard it is to do it to identify a good college quarterback going to the pros like you see misses over and over and over again. Um, you know, so I think the fact that you hit with an Ian Book but miss with a Brandon Wimbush and Phil Dracovic, like probably should be less of a surprise than um we think. Um, because I think that in terms of developing the right guys, Notre Dame has done a nice job with that. Um, last year was obviously a, I think an aberration. And this is again not to keep mentioning the mailbag that you can read on the athletic.com. But when Notre Dame has had a veteran quarterback under Tommy Reese, the offense has been outstanding. Um, last year was the exception to that. Um, but when you had old Ian book or you had old Jack Cohn, the offense was in the mid thirties in terms of scoring offense. Now you have old Sam Hartman. And I think that it's realistic to think that Notre Dame could score High 30s? 30, 35. Maybe hit yeah, 40. Yeah. I mean, Sam Hartman's used to playing on a 40-point per-game offense. Um, and I, I really... He's, he's, not, he's not used to really any defense whatsoever, which no, hopefully no, changes nor, nor is he probably used to pass protection. But like... Uh, before this year, I think he was. But it, yeah. it, not not to level at Notre Dame probably should be at this year. But yes. No, but it's like before this year, when he had just a scintilla of pass pro, I mean, he torched people in the right. ACC. Um, that that offense was his... I think they were third nationally or third among Power 5 teams in scoring offense his, in 2021 when he had like a legit offensive line. He will have more than a legit offensive line this year. Um, so, I'm, you know, I had a, somebody asked about like, you know, is there, are we getting out over our skis on Sam Hartman and the hype train and yada yada. Like, I don't I don't think you can go overboard with that right now um, in terms of what the offense can be with Sam Hartman. And I think internally inside Notre Dame's program, like that's sort of how they see it. Like that the running backs and receivers will be like, holy crap, I'm living in a different world here uh, with Sam Hartman running the show than, than what last season was like for the most part. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you again. This is proven goods right now. Again, not everything translates from one thing to another. Wake Forest ran 
probably the most unique offense in the country. And by that, I mean, no one else in the country runs it or even really attempts to run it outside of Stanford for a couple of weeks last season. Um, but, but, but he's proven good. He's proven commodity. This is not a, a five-star high school recruit who, you know, obviously would be very exciting and beneficial for anyone, but again, is a high school recruit. This is a guy who's played a lot of high level college football. I mean, he threw six touchdown passes in that Clemson game and certainly was not the reason they lost it. I mean, they put up what, 45 points in it. I think, um, I, I just harp on something you said, like, I, I think the frustration as far as like Notre Dame and quarterbacks is they, they have not, and I'm with you. Like, I think they've done a good, for the most part, a good job identifying a good job developing. It's not like the guys who haven't panned out Notre Dame have transferred elsewhere and turned into, um, Incredible NFL players. Yeah, there's no, there's no age. Joe Burry, Joe Burrow story, right? At Notre or, Dame. Uh, Will Levis or whomever, right? Um, I, I think the frustration is they haven't had one of those game changers, right? And since when? Clawson, and would you even put him in that category? Um, I would say his his junior year got lost to a really bad defense, right? Um, but I think it's a it was an underappreciated great quarterback season by him here, and I think he did it with like a bad. I think he had turf toe all year too. Um, so I think people people point to Quinn and for like understandably so his junior and senior years, he was like not only was he outstanding, he was kind of like a rock star. He's a Heisman finalist. I mean, yeah, he, I mean, that's what he's great. He he's is, he's still famous off that. And yeah, I there's a generation that he done other things, but like no, I mean, there's a generation of Notre Dame fans who identify Brady Quinn and Manti Teo as their two all time right. favorite. Uh, Notre Dame players. If you if you sort of came of age watching Notre Dame football from 1995 until now, which right is here, what, like <laughs> I mean, we're pushing <laughs> we're pushing almost like a 30 year window here, um, a 20 year 30 year window. Like Brady Quinn is the most famous Notre Dame football player that you watched. Um, that's that's still the case. Like he was a dude. Um, probably the most famous right now. At least it like is still in the public eye. Yeah. No, I agree with that too. So it's a uh, I think Sam Hartman has a chance to certainly be a bigger name nationally than any quarterback since Clawson. Um, I think he has a chance to affect games at a level that probably Clawson and Quinn did too. Um, certainly the, the Kelly era, I mean, they had good quarterbacks. You know, Deshaun Kaiser's 2015 season was very good. Uh, Ian Book's career was was really good. I mean, he won 30 games. He threw what 32 touchdowns his he was a fourth high, he year? was well, he was a top 10 Heisman vote getter. He was yeah. a quote unquote Heisman finalist. Uh, you no, know, never but I, like never quite like a national story. No, right? no, no. It was um, always I like think Sam Hartman he's keeping the be. seat warm or he's here because Wimbush didn't work out and he's just gonna keep yeah. the seat warm for Jacob or whatever. Like, yeah, it was never he wasn't supposed to be there. Um, but he just kept showing up and you know was a guy who, who who made you take notice at the end. Um, I'm with you on that. I would also, uh, Kaiser's, I don't know if I want to say the word greatness, but his, his very good career was lost to the, you know, calamity of 2016. Um, if he had any semblance of a defense of 2015, that's a playoff team. And I, I would say national contender. I don't think they would have won it all, but puncher's like, chance for they, sure. I mean, they were, Two point conversion away after three terrible quarters of beating a Clemson team that was as good as any in the country that year on the road. So, um, in a monsoon, I, I, in a monsoon, which again, I think actually helped Notre Dame, but I, uh, I think neither here nor there, we would look at him and his time at Notre Dame differently 
had like Brian Van Gorder not been coordinating that defense. I agree. Um, Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I want to throw it back to a little bit when you you talk about quarterback development being hard. I'm trying to think. And off the top of my head, I could think of two or maybe three, and I'm sure I'm missing some. There aren't many programs out there that like, oh, he's going to this school. You know, he's going to be a first round draft pick. Um, I think Ohio State has turned into that under Ryan Day Mm -hmm. um, with first uh, the late Dwayne Haskins, then Justin Fields, now CJ Stroud, who might be the number one pick. Um, I think Alabama has turned into that under Bill O'Brien, who probably won't be there beyond this year. But Mac Jones um, ended up being a first round pick. Uh, Bryce Young after that. Who, oh, and, and two and Hurts before that. So yeah, and Brian Dable is their their coach, their OC then. Uh, so I think all, um, Ohio State, Alabama, maybe we'll, we'll see with Clemson. Right, like they're at an inflection point right now. They've obviously recruited the position really well, and they had two generational players who won them national championships in Watson and Lawrence. And, and you know, Klubnik's not in that category. That was made very clear. Nope. Well, to anyone who watched them, but everyone at Clemson. Um, kept telling anyone who would listen, even when DJU was struggling this year, hey, he ain't ready, he ain't ready, he ain't ready. And we saw that uh, at Notre Dame. We saw that in the Orange Bowl this year. We'll see if that changes, <clears throat> excuse me, with another year, <clears throat> excuse me again, uh, another year and with Garrett Riley now calling the plays in Death Valley. But like Georgia just won the back-to-back national titles with a walk-on and is going to be the favorite to three-peat next year. And we don't even know who their quarterback is. Now, Georgia also is recruiting at a level that's hard to even compare um, as far as modern history right now. I mean, they, they lost 15 NFL draft picks and they went out and won 15-0 and and won the national title. Uh, and Bennett was very good. He was a very significant part of that this year. But no one's mistaking him for a first-round draft pick. Uh, Florida State under Jimbo Fisher, which is part of the frustration with AM now. Like, they were like they had three straight first-round draft picks, a quarterback under him. But... Again, Lincoln I Riley is of, the other one. Riley, Riley, there you go. Yeah, yeah. I, I knew I was forgetting someone. Um, yeah, he's he's good at this too. But they're that's what three active. Yeah, you got Lincoln Riley, Bill O'Brien, and um, Ryan Day. Yeah, and then we're giving like sort of half credit to Clemson because like that has been sort of flagging for quite a while. Because it's I mean that that's part like would you. You, no one is going to criticize Clemson for taking DJ Uyunglele out of high right. school like that. Just sometimes five star prospects just don't work out. Um, like, but if you get one every year, time, if you get yeah, one every year, you, like you're then one of them will more work likely out. to yeah get a championship it, level guy than not. If there's a fifty percent chance that your five star prospect is going to work out, and you have three at the position, well, there's. I don't know what the math is on that, but I would say it's probably yeah. a ninety percent chance one of them will be very good. Um, and look at the give Dabo Sweeney credit, right? Like that Notre Dame game. And I remember being in that post game scrum after the field storming with Clemson. And again, they were humiliated, right? It wasn't like, Hey, Notre Dame played a great game. And just happened to beat them. This it, it wasn't 2020, which not take it away from Notre Dame's win that day, but they played again yeah. a month later and we saw what happened. Like 
it was very clear watching those two teams play this November, this past November. Wow, Notre Dame's just a lot better than them. If they play this game ten times, Notre Dame's going to come out on the winning end. At least seven of them, like uh, they were better. Um, and Dabo just had this look of like uh, he'd just been in a train wreck after he, he flat out said, "Yo, they all coached us, they all played us, we got our ass kicked." Like this is not something you just snap your fingers and bounce back from the following week. Um, anyone who watched that Orange Bowl saw that that team struggled. Now, I would argue that often struggled. I would argue, you know, the offensive line play there, which has been lacking for a while, finally caught up to them the last two years, um, as has the, the, the slow but sure diminishing quality of receiver play. For Dabo Sweeney to fire Brandon Streeter, who is a former Clemson quarterback, had been on that staff for eight years, was by all accounts like the best human and one of the best recruiters on that staff, to to flat out fire him after one year of calling plays and then hiring Lincoln, or excuse me, Garrett Riley, the, the Broyles Award winner, who just took Max freaking Duggan to the doorstep of the Heisman Trophy and National Championship. Uh, like, that's the kind of cold-blooded move that wins you National Championship. That, 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 like, completely rethinks and reshapes the way I look at Clemson moving forward. After the Orange Bowl, I was, all right, they had a nice little run as college football's elite. Now they're back to just being the ACC's elite. You may, you pull off a move like that, and there's no guarantee it will work, but it shows like we're not happy to just win ACC titles. We're 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 going to be back in business very very soon. Yeah, it was a on a unrelated note. I was staying at a hotel for the Gator Bowl with a lot of South Carolina fans, uh, and they were sort of drowning their sorrows watching the Orange Bowl. They really don't like Clemson. It was kind of funny to watch. Like about uh, it was like friends don't let friends wear orange was a big chant. Um, like. They had taken over the hotel lobby and were just like, you know what? If South Carolina is going to w- lose, then Clemson damn well better lose too. And I think that was the only joy they got on the entire day. Did, did you see the plane flying over the Orange Bowl? I didn't. Oh, uh, well, of course, the Orange Bowl, right? They're, they're fate. Well, our friend Al Golden can probably, <laughs> probably a little too familiar with this, but my, you know, that stadium became famous really throughout the past decade of rich fans flying planes with messages over it. And uh, I don't remember the exact quote, but it's Orange Bowl between Clemson and Tennessee, both of whom had their national title hopes eliminated in the final two weeks of the season by South Carolina. And I guess a South Carolina fan flew a plane that said, like, congrats. It said something like, enjoy not being in the national title game. Go Gamecocks or so- something to that effect. Ah. It was pretty I, good. Like the, the, the South Carolina fan base, like, I don't think we talked about this in the podcast post game. Like, they were... Uh, they were into it. Like I got to give them credit. Like they were, uh, that was a, a sprightly bunch. Um, they, they got after it, but, uh, well, they kept tri- showing, did they keep showing Trevor Lawrence on the field, on the scoreboard? Yeah, and whenever and Trevor I, Lawrence would show up in a Jacksonville, uh, Jaguars montage, they booed him. So I was the, like, the, the, you guys iron- are committed to the bit. The irony between that is Trevor Lawrence beat Notre Dame as many times as he beat South Carolina and ended Notre Dame season two more times than he beat South Carolina. Oh my gosh. Um, so I don't know if you had any sort of last thoughts on Sam Hartman before we get in. I was curious about if you had any takeaways for the national championship game being there that are applicable to Notre Dame. But like to me, yeah. Sam Hartman, like we're, you know, our eternal optimist, uh, Stu Mandel, our boss at the athletic was like, am I crazy? But like, I'm really high on Notre Dame next year with yeah. the Hartman news. And I, I feel the same way. Not that they're like top five, but it it makes them a college football playoff contender at the beginning of the season. I don't I don't think that the defensive is a position to make them like a favorite to make it, but 
could Sam Hartman go off against Ohio State at the end of September and Notre Dame win that game? Yeah. That's absolutely. my that's my exact feeling, right? It's they're not gonna be favored in every game. I, I wouldn't pick them to make the playoff right now, but when you've got a difference maker like that under center, you go into every game thinking you have a chance. Like they yeah. went to Ohio State this year, the point spread was 17 and a half. It was Tyler Buckner's first start. There clearly was a very small playbook and understandably so for him in that game. It was, you know, they, they go into halftime with the lead. And it's, oh my God, like how much longer can their defense hold on? Cause you knew they were not going to keep up with Ohio state point for point there. Whereas I don't care how bad your defense is. You've got a difference maker, a quarterback, you go into every game thinking you've got a real shot at it. And, and I mm-hmm. think that's where the, the, the off season optimism comes from. If you're Notre Dame uh, on a national title note, like to first and foremost, apologize to each and every Notre Dame fan, alum, uh, president and former staff member forever thinking that Georgia would do to TCU what Alabama did in Notre Dame because what Georgia did to TCU was so much worse. Um, it was, so, it was so bad. It like wasn't even funny to tweet about during That's, the game. No, you're right. Like, And, and going in, I had those exact vibes. I thought Ohio State's going to feel about this game the way Georgia feel felt about the 2012 BCS title game. Like Georgia had Alabama on the ropes in the SEC right. title game. They lose. Alabama goes on, destroys Notre Dame. That was Ohio State this year with um, with Georgia. They, they, they had them. They let them off the hook. And I, I just thought, all right, Georgia's not going to screw around again. One, well, one, they're the better team. Two, they're not going to screw around again. Like they're, they know they, they were at death's doorstep and they survived and they're going to just unleash hell on these guys tonight. But even then, and, and I know this is like window dressing, right? But like 65-28 sounds a lot different than 65-7. Like I just didn't – and it's 65 obviously is incredible in its own right. I thought Georgia would do whatever it wanted on offense. Now I didn't think they'd score touchdowns on their their uh, first six possessions. Uh, but I thought they would have have plenty of opportunities to do a lot of good things. I thought Brock Bowers would, would absolutely show out against that TCU defense. I thought TCU's offense would – Put up more of a fight, especially, you know, they score on their second possession. It's 10 seven and you're thinking, OK, TC, you know, this is TCU, right? They've never been out of a game this year. They've had multiple 17, mm-hmm. 18 point deficits and they've come back from them. At the very least, I thought they, you know, keep it somewhat respectable, at least amongst the final score. I did 65 seven. You know, I know Duggan was a Heisman runner up. Um, he did not play well at all. Um, you know, he had a pick early on where he had Quinton Johnson wide open deep. Um, and I just thought, you know, that the defensive line uh, from Clemson eventually got to him and got to him mentally. Um, so, yeah, the game, it was the easiest game I've ever covered. Um, locker room, they were like open locker rooms, which are great for media. Usually, like, you take full advantage of that and it's really crowded. Everyone went to Georgia. I wrote something about TCU. There were like six of us, like, and it wasn't even like, like they were upset they lost. Like there was a lot of hugs and, you know, a lot of seniors who were, uh, you know, taking mementos from the final time they'll ever be there. But it was just very matter of fact of like, yep. Um, it reminded me of Notre Dame 2012 in the sense that, like, I don't think this takes away from the run. Like it was a really cool out of yeah. nowhere season. It's not supposed to happen in the sport, which makes it all the more special when it does happen. Uh, I will say Notre Dame's a blue blood. And even though they haven't won a national championship since then, they've certainly, Establish them, established themselves as a top 10 program since then. And that season is a big reason for that to put them back on the map. They needed that. Whereas, you know, TCU had even been to a bowl game in four years. Yeah. Um, that said, I, 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 
I don't think Garrett Riley left Clemson for money, although obviously they're going to give him a hefty pay raise. I think Garrett Riley do like all due respect to TCU. Like this is as good as it gets here. Um, and we saw that up yeah, close, which is great, uh, right? Against like Georgia. That's a really good in terms of as good as it gets. Yeah, like, no, and, and look, I, I, you know, I, uh, who was I talking to? Tay Barber, I think the, the receiver, uh, in the locker after. And I said, what, what's, what, what's the future for the season? He, he said, like, shit, man, only God knows. But, uh, <laughs> we've proven that you can come to like high school recruits can see TCU in the playoff, can see TCU on the stage, and they know they'll have the chance to do that if they come here. And it'll be the same for the 12 team playoff if, you know, Iowa or, you know, uh, trying to uh, NC state. Like I'm trying to think like a mid tier power five team, you know, if they get, they have a great year where everything breaks their way and they get in the 12 team playoff, you will be able to recruit off that forever, which is why mm-hmm. um, I, I'm so excited to see the college football playoff expand in that regard. Um, but yeah, uh, apologies to Notre Dame. Notre Dame scored 14 points and played Alabama to a draw the second half, which um, is more impressive, I guess, in the context of um, TCU. Losing 65-7. Nice little Shamrock reunion there. Got to see Mike Golick Jr. Uh, and Brady Quinn on the field pregame. Uh, Dane Chris crashed one of our colleagues' lunches uh, in Manhattan Beach earlier. Oh, I saw Steve Stanford Steve, another Shamrock guest um, as well. So uh, should have knocked out a bunch of podcasts right there because that would have been more exciting th- than the game itself with the way it unfolded. But uh, certainly an uneventful night, but a fun event all around. That's excellent. Well, uh, I guess as as we are talking about next year's Notre Dame team, uh, Notre Dame picked up a transfer commitment as we record. Uh, Ohio State defensive end Javante Jean Baptiste, uh, New Jersey product, one time four star prospect, uh, played five years at Ohio State uh, in a reserve role. Had four sacks last season, 6'5", about two fifty. Um, not a body type Notre Dame has an abundance on its roster off the edge. So um, Notre Dame, again, going back to the portal for a graduate transfer, not, uh, not at the level of Sam Hartman, but um, that's their after quarterback defensive end defensive line, the biggest need position on the roster. So, um, and they got the safety from OK state while you were gone to was hurt this year, but but as a talented player who will Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, a rotation guy, maybe he could be a nickel, um, but just gives you another option at a position where they're, they just don't have enough of them. So, um, you know, to pick up a a defensive back safety nickel and then a a true edge player off the defensive line, it's quite helpful for next year's roster. Uh, on the subject of future pot news, so we, we talked about Garrett Riley. Uh, that, I think, is a game changer for Clemson, which, like any trip to Death Valley, and crazy enough, I don't think Notre Dame's been there since that hurricane game in 2015, despite playing them three times since then, four times. Um, so that will be a fun trip and much harder trip, in my estimation, with Garrett Riley going to, uh, going to Clemson. Uh in other Riley brother news, Lincoln Riley is retaining Alex Grinch as his defensive coordinator. Celebrated among Notre Dame fans. Well, look, y'all got on me because I said you should have got him now, Notre Dame. <laughs> this is as bad as it'll ever be. And I think the fact that they put up, gave up 40 plus points in every other game, I think four out of five, their final five games, Notre Dame being the only one that did even crack 30. There's a reason I said that. Like, <laughs> Notre Dame did not play their best that night. And I'm not saying they would have won that game, but I was disappointed in their showing that night. Um, for, for obvious reasons. Now, I, I, 
I, I think there were two legitimate, really good defensive players on USC's defense this year. I don't think they were talented at all. And that's something they need to obviously emphasize. But, you know, Lincoln Riley's betting big on this. You've got Caleb Williams, the Heisman Trophy winner and presumptive number one 2024 draft pick for one more year. Don't screw this up, right? Like you've got this golden opportunity here and you damn near made the playoff even with this terrible defense. Uh, you, you better make some pretty hefty portal additions um, to capitalize uh, on having a generational quarterback back. Yeah, and like the they, their best defensive player left, right? You know, Tuli Tuli Pulutu. Um, that's that that was their stud defensive lineman. I get, I know they got Anthony Lucas in the portal from Texas A and M, who's a former Notre Dame recruit. I mean, there's a lot, a lot of transactional news to sort through over the next six months about who's going where. But I. I don't know why the defense would be better. It can't be worse. Now, I, I, could it? Is that yeah, a challenge? Should, no, I mean, I don't think I mean, the person they, they could definitely coaching, not force thirty turnovers. That's what that, that right. I mean, so I they think, could be worse. I, I don't think Alex Grinch is a bad coach. I don't think he had a lot to work with this year. I, I don't think they're going to make the kind of portal additions overnight that they made on offense last offseason that turned them into no. an elite offense. Um, but they need to be serviceable, especially in that, like their last year in the Pac-12. Look at the quarterback lineup in the Pac-12 next year. Well, that's um, going to be a fun conference to watch at 10.30 p.m. Yeah. on ESPN. <laughs> yes, uh, or ESPN 2. Pac-12, illegal Pac-12 network streams, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, Bo Nix coming back. Cam Rising coming back. Deion Sanders kid, uh, probably yeah. starting for Colorado. Uh, Drew Pine at Arizona State. DJ Uyangale at Oregon State. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting uh, a couple of uh, Dante Moore, uh, Notre Dame favorite uh, at uh, at UCLA. Like, there's going to be a lot of exciting quarterback. Michael Panic Jr., who I had number three on my Heisman ballot this year, uh, back at Washington. Uh, that's going to be the best quarterback league in the country, barring anything unforeseen next year. And USC is going to need to play better defense to stop them because um, this year didn't get the job done. But again, that goes back to my point. Uh, this was the year to get them or at least show them uh, that we're, we're not, not show them, but you know, I said at the time I stand by now, I don't think, I think this will be the worst USC team of the Lincoln Riley era. And they're still pretty darn good and still beat Notre Dame pretty handily, um, which is why I feel not nervous, but you know, why Notre Dame has to get better and they're taking the necessary steps to doing that so far this offseason. The other one, and there really hasn't been much internal, external traction on this um, since he said it. Kirk Herbstreet, um, I think it was on the road, maybe it was the Rose Bowl pregame show, it was after the semifinal. He said on ESPN that Ryan Day told him he was going to give up play calling duties and hire an OC. And my first thought when he what? said that was. Oh, yeah. You were in Mexico for this. Yeah. Uh, but my first thought when he said that was, well, it's got to be Garrett Riley, right? Like they're both rep by Trace Armstrong. It would make too much sense. Garrett's ready for the next step. And obviously he took it just not at Ohio State. I haven't heard anything one way or another about that moving forward. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, if Ryan Day is going to hire a proven play caller and by proven play caller, I mean someone who's going to like take a lot off his plate and call the plays on offense and not what Jimbo Fisher did and hire Bobby Petrino to just turn Texas A&M to the greatest reality TV show in college football. Next oh year. my God. What a um, sport. So, <laughs> then Ohio state could be dangerous. We'll see. Um, but that, that they've still got to be kicking themselves um, for blowing that 14 point lead in the Georgia game. Like I, I, 
every time I want to give them a break for that, like you look at that last drive against Georgia, they were down to, they were without their top two running backs without their top two receivers and without their top tight end and still came a field long field goal away from winning probably the national title. Uh, There's a screenshot going around of the fake punt play that Kirby smart called a timeout on Ohio state had 12 people on the field that play. How do you screw that up with a month to prepare after screwing that exact same play up in the fourth quarter against Michigan, your last time out? Like, I don't know. And I can't help but think having another set of eyes and ears on that staff um, to allow your head coach to take more of a, a managerial approach, for lack of a better term, would help. Like, if Kirby Smart was calling plays, do you think he has the the presence of mind to call a timeout and stop that fake punt if it were legit from happening? Like, I think there are little details like that. I think there's a reason uh, no play caller, no head coach who's called plays has won a national title since Jimbo Fisher at, at Florida State, and I believe Steve Spurrier before that. Like. It's just not really ideal uh, if you want to win a national championship in this era of college football. And so I'll be curious what Ohio State does with that. But again, Notre Dame has three major opponents on a schedule next year. Um, Ohio State, USC, and Clemson. Um, Two of them made moves, one of them a non-move. And Ohio State may make one um, between now and the time Notre Dame plays. We shall see. But um, never a dull moment in this crazy sport. Still a lot to be sorted out on the coaching carousel front, especially on the NFL side um, in the coming weeks. But um, we'll be tracking all that. Best yeah. Way. I mean, you got, I don't know. I mean, next, next year's schedule, you got Sam Hartman versus Wake Forest. You've got Phil Dracovic coming Jack, back to Notre Dame stadium, maybe playing this time, but with Pittsburgh, Jack Plummer coming back to Notre Dame stadium or yes. is it Louisville. Might be in Louisville, He's a, but uh, it's at Louisville. Um, you have Notre Dame's return to Carter Finley Field, which I, I if I can't put together an oral history on the 2016 game between Notre Dame and the NC State uh, to commemorate Notre Dame's return to Raleigh, like Sam Mustafer is available. Yeah, I, I'm gonna have to just <laughs> resign my position. Um, you know, and then Notre Dame at Duke, which I, you know, on paper I think people are like, ah, whatever, it's Duke, but like Duke was really, really good this year. I believe they had they returned is it Riley Leonard their quarterback who had an excellent season so. they were they returned a ton of production Mike Elko is an excellent coach like I'm not like Notre Dame should win the game but it's not it's kind of like I I feel like every year Notre Dame has like a tricky road ACC game where you're like eh. and they always win it that's why they have this ridiculous winning streak against the ACC not Clemson but I think next year Duke is probably that game for me. Uh, where you're just like, mm, you know, it's like you got to be on guard. Well, it's funny you bring up Mike Elko and Duke because and right after I talk about coaching searches, we still have no freaking clue what Jim Harbaugh is going to do. I'm not sure Jim Harbaugh has a clue what he's going to do. It is my personal belief that if he gets offered an NFL job, he will take it. And if he takes it, I could see two of the programs you just mentioned having head coaches firmly in the mix there in Dave Clawson and or Mike Elko, mm. which would also reshape Notre Dame's schedule uh, or, you know, uh, the dynamics of Notre Dame's schedule for next season. Um, I, I, I think that the, the NCA stuff is a lot more, uh, more than they're letting on as far as like, I, I, I think they, you know, you lie to investigators in 2023 with head coach oversight yeah. and responsibilities. Like I, I think the NCA is going to drop whatever's left of the hammer on them. Now that might drag itself out the way these things usually do, 
But if Jim Harbaugh can get out of that, among other things, like, hey, he just took them to back to back um, Big Ten championships, like my work here is done. Um, I <laughs> if you've been following his like tweet a thon with the president and all that, I mean, it was literally, no, like, but I it's like it was a it. I followed it a little bit. It created a spinoff of my favorite game from previ- the Brian Kelly administration of like, imagine Brian Kelly saying the things that uh, SEC coaches would say, but the spinoff would be now, a, now, imagine, now imagine Father SEC John coach. tweeting it. Um, well, so Santa Ono is like, there's literally a story written about this, how like he's a tweetaholic as a school president. <laughs> and this was like his shtick while at Cincinnati. But Herbaugh's response, let me find it. So Santa he Ono supported the support of himself, right? Like, so was, yeah, Santa Ono tweets, and I'm like, it's 19 hours ago. I pleased, so typo, I think. I pleased mm-hmm. to share that I have been having very positive and constructive conversations with our athletic director and football coach, Ward Manuel and Jim Harbaugh stay as the head football coach of the University of Michigan. Hashtag go blue emojis, yada, yada, yada. That was at 321 Central Time yesterday. Oh, so 321. So literally, like, this was. I guess they knew this was coming. Uh, Michigan's official football account quote tweets it. Hashtag go blue. Picture Jim Harbaugh looking all surly with a whistle in his mouth with a quote that says, I am in full support of President Ono's message to our fans and appreciate his support of me and the team. Like, <laughs> that's the response I got when I emailed someone over Christmas and it, I got the auto reply saying, I'm all the, out of the office till next Monday. Happy holidays. Thanks. Um it, it was, oh. and I, I thought San Ono's message was essentially like, "Hey, we know you're in trouble with the NCA, but we still want you." Um, Harbaugh's response, and Harbaugh is working with an agent now. He didn't before, um, and I think you know there's a, a whole other podcast debate to be had about whether you know that's healthy or not. I think last year, basically advertising that I'm going to Minnesota to interview for the Vikings on National Signing Day probably isn't smartest way to conduct your business and Jim Harbaugh usually doesn't care about that but I do think you know smart people have gone in his ear about let let us handle this now the way most other coaches do yep. but with the leaks left and right with the NFL network having a report saying like Harbaugh might interview with the Broncos but if Michigan were to come with an offer maybe he'd stay was kind of wow, like god that was that was a hell of I I did see that on vacation <laughs> I'm like good god like how much do you have to get paid to tweet that <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, as far as I know, he hasn't been offered anything and I, he would have taken it last year with the Vikings. I still like, I don't think you put yourself out there and do this whole song and dance. If you're not serious about leaving, if you do get an offer, um, that being said, I Jim Harbaugh is one of a handful of human beings on planet earth. I don't think is solely motivated by money. Um, I think, you know, he took basically a 50% pay cut to keep his job after 2020. He donated a lot of his bonuses to the athletic department. He paid for a lot of their like COVID losses. Um, so it's really hard to predict what he will do. But, I, you know, this thing is dragged down far too long to not have any legitimate smoke to it. And again, if the Michigan job opens, I get the appeal of promoting from within when you're coming off back-to-back playoff berths and you have the chance to be really, really good again next year. But it's the winningest program of all time. I think 95% of the coaches in the country would walk to that job. Uh, I think two of the potential best fits are ACC coaches in the state of North Carolina who are on Notre Dame schedule next year and would, would fit in well there. Dave, Dave you're talking about Dave, my- Dave Doran, right? <laughs> Almost, <laughs> only we got a mail bath from Dave Doran. Yeah. That would have 
Popped it. Another thing that I I think spaced while covering the Gator Bowl, but uh, yeah, there's. If this uh, sport has taught us anything over the last few years, it, there <laughs> there are no dull moments anymore, um, and the transfer portal has only amplified that times infinity. We 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 went through that whole job discussion without even mentioning that arguably the biggest job in college sports officially became open yesterday, vacated by a Notre Dame law alum. That's true, Devin Warren. It uh, that that'll be interesting to see if uh, Jim Phillips, who should like should have been a podcast guest for us at some point, um, yeah, he should be. He still should be. As soon as he, tra- as soon as he comes field. on, you know what's going to happen. Shamrock at the bump. He gets a big 10 job. Or the Notre Dame 80 job. Jack retires. Yeah. <laughs> Both Shamrock bumps, in my opinion. So plenty uh, plenty to mind there. So I I don't know if there's anything else we want to go over as we enter the offseason, other than to mention that we will be finally doing the oft-mentioned, never-materialized live room next week, 1 p.m. Thursday. January 19th, Eastern, 1 p.m. time. It's happening. We're doing the live room first since, I think, the day before the Fiesta Bowl. So it'll be the the first live room we've done since Mark Freeman actually coached a game. <laughs> um, that was a lot of fun when we did it. Uh, shout out to whoever the listener was. I still remember her saying Audric Estime was kind of a breakout game. I'm like, eh, I don't know about that. And he didn't in that game, but had a breakout sophomore season. So I got to give a partial credit there at least. Thir- Thursday. So that's Friday, junior BYOB. Like you can, we, we, we can, we can have some fun on this one. Yeah. Um, especially since it's live. There'll be no judgment if you're day drinking while we do the live room. No, it's a short week to begin with. So. Why not yeah. start your weekend earlier? The Shamrock is not a dry, a dry January podcast. Um, I mean, we're called the Shamrock. They're opening in Dublin. Like, come on. They're, they're called. I the mean, you're, you're Sam Hartman. Column reference room yeah. temperature beer. <laughs> so, I mean, that, that's yet Holy. another reason to like Sam Hartman. He like he likes cold drinks. Um, he's, you know, even if he's going to be drinking a room temperature Guinness in Dublin, where perhaps we'll do a, a live show, live show, not just a live room. Who knows? Some, something to shoot for in the future. Absolutely something to shoot for in the future. Uh, I think that's all I got. I tweeted this. Gator Bowl, 5.77 million viewers. The highest yes. non-New Year 6. Up 2.29 from last year's, which featured MVP Sam Hartman. So maybe, Sam, like let's meet us, meet halfway here. Like <laughs> Take your low rating and a win over Rutgers. Uh, Notre Dame's high rating and a win over South Carolina. And uh, parlay that into a New Year 6 bid next year. Uh, but not terribly surprised by that. Um, staff knock on wood right now looks like it is all in uh intact moving forward. I do know Texas has a wide receivers opening and they they are at least interested in Chancey Stucky. I don't expect that to go anywhere, but worth keeping on the radar um here in the coming weeks. Um, I think that's all I got to keep it one more. It's like, oh, one more, one more. Oh, by the way, the Big Ten's open. Oh, by the way, Michigan might open. Um, any last thoughts from Mexico when when you were there? Ooh, um, yeah, it was it was nice to be warm. Uh, it was nice to be in the ocean. Um, but it uh, I was I was bummed that I I'm the head coach of my son's third grade basketball team, and we missed the first two games of the season flying back, which was disappointing. Uh, lost both, but uh, we'll be looking to get our first dub on Sunday afternoon. So Stanley Clark, third grade, second grade basketball. Let's go. Let's uh, definitely get into hoops mode. I spent the morning mapping out my uh, player substitution rotations. So we're going to have a uh, decent playing time for everybody. Any any truth to the rumor you would have gotten the Notre Dame job had they lost to Georgia Tech the other night? 
Ooh, um, I think I have to win one game first uh, okay. before I could be a serious. Loves their first in ACC yeah. play. <laughs> That's true. That's true. There's uh, no Notre basketball is another podcast. Terrible for another ACC, time. by the way. Got it. Yeah. Really bad this year. That's another Literally. podcast for another time. If anyone wants to jump, hop in the live room next week and talk about Notre Dame hoops, you're up. we're we're here to listen. Um, but uh, we'll save that for another podcast. So, on that note, we'll wrap up here. Remember, next week, Thursday, January 19th, 1 p.m. Eastern, live room. We'll send out the link, promote it on Twitter. Um, come join us. We'll take some questions from uh, our listeners. It's been way too long since we've done this. It was a lot of fun last time. So until then, he's Matt. I'm Pete. Thanks for being with us on the latest episode of The Shamrock.